Welcome to Mere Utterance, the podcast where we explore small stories and the big impact they have on our lives. This episode, we sit down and chat with Max Mika on just about everything from career changes and travelling abroad to upcoming nuptials and what it means to discover a sense of cultural place as a first-generation Australian. With a background in law, Max is self-described as cool, calm and collected an avid sports fan and a lover of the simple things in life. In this conversation, he is candid, authentic and unapologetically himself. Thank you very much for joining us today, Max. It's lovely to have you on the podcast with us. It is lovely to be here. I'm both nervous and excited. So, so are we. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be It'll be fine. Um, so, first question. How would you introduce yourself at this current point in time? Current point in time, I think if someone said, you know, if I could just describe myself in a couple of words, it'd be a ball of stress. <laughs> uh, I think if you asked me the question six, eight months ago, I'd be like, you know, calm, collected, free, easygoing. <laughs> Not anymore. Wait, what's <laughs> happened between now and... <laughs> well, I'm getting married in less than two weeks. I feel like a lot of the smaller, finer details are the most stressful because... Right. You know, organizing, say, food and, you know, who's coming was done so long ago, but now just doing the nitty gritty as the day comes can be the most, the most stressful. Stress inducing. Yes. Right. Are you usually cool, calm and collected? I like to think I am. Like on the outside, I, I just would never show that I'm like about to break down, except maybe at home when, <laughs> when Bonnie sees me, like she's just like, oh, <laughs> oh no. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like I think people at work, just like what you're stressed, couldn't even tell. So wow, okay. I think I hide it quite well. Nice. Yes. Are you hiding it well now? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you seem pretty cool. Like, I think so. I was just like, just put on the mask. Nice. Yeah. Fair enough. So if you were to like describe you as a person or what you're doing outside of the stress. Mm. What would it be? Mm. At the moment, I'm... I think the best way to put it is I'm looking after like I'm just doing what I want to do um, and doing what I enjoy doing. Love that. I've had a change of career that that took me a while to like come to terms with. Yeah. And I realized I was previously a lawyer and I gave it up because I had literally had no time to do what I wanted right. to do, just like enjoy my time. And which area of law was that in? Commercial litigation. So like a lot of court stuff. Um a lot of high maintenance clients, a lot of weekends, a lot of, you know, phone calls at 10 p.m. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. The fun stuff. The stuff that we live for. <laughs> yes. yes. Love working. Please call me. It's urgent. I'm like, it's 11 <laughs> o'clock. I'm asleep. Go away. Right. Okay. Okay. So, okay. How long were you in law for? Six years in law, four and a half as an actual lawyer. Far out. Yeah. So from my mid twenties until, you know, I was 30. Yeah. I went into law because, oh, how to put it? I wanted to help people initially, but it was also like a career that my parents were like, you should do this. Like you make good money. Right. And you know, the thought of studying for seven years and then not doing it was like quite like burdensome. Yes. Right. But I kind of came to terms with the fact that I developed so many skills from it that I can use in so many other professions that don't require me to work like a horse. Right. So it was like the excessive working that... Yeah. Right. It is. Like, I literally... I didn't think I had any hobbies. Wow. Like, and even if I wanted to do something, I was just like... I just had no time. I was so tired all the time. 
And I was definitely very moody quite a lot. Really? Yes. Ah, interesting. I feel like it, it really does that. Like, I think when your whole life is consumed by work, it's... Yeah. There's no outlet. Yeah. And so you're in that, like, down that rubber hole 24-7. Yeah. I think when I finally realized, I was like, I don't want to, like, live to work. Right. Wait. Yeah. What is it? There's a saying... Work, I don't live for work. I work to, to live. live. I love that saying. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. So I, I was like, you know what? I can make similar money doing something else. And like, I'm never going to like enjoy like fully something that I'm going to work in. Cause like my dream is to be a professional football player. That's never going to happen. <laughs> hey, you never know. Don't say <laughs> so sure. My body is broken. I could never do it. <laughs> Fair enough. I've definitely had some dreams that I've <laughs> hit points in my life. And I'm like, wait, that's, that's actually not going to happen. <laughs> and that's okay. Um, w- when you transitioned out of law, was there still that feeling of, oh, my parents? Because mm. you said that that was a contributing factor to you getting the job. And I totally get that because I started, like I did my master's in teaching because mm. genuinely since I finished school, mm. my parents were like, you should have a teaching degree. And I'm like, I don't want to be a teacher. Yeah. And then I finally did it. And they're like, see, aren't you happy now? And I'm like, I still don't want to be a teacher. <laughs> it, so my brother also studied law. Oh, um, okay. But never practiced. So he's four years younger than me. Yeah. And he he's actually doing something similar to what I do. So it wasn't difficult. I think I think for me, it was like... I need to get out and I don't have the time to actually apply to get out. So like I probably wanted to get out a few years before. I just Go never on. had the time to do you're it. actually working. Yeah. And I got to the, I think as I've gotten older, I've definitely um, had more arguments with my parents about what they expect of me and what I now expect of myself. Totally. Um, yeah. I think I, I realized one so long ago, but it was literally the time and the capacity to actually like make the leap. Yeah, right. And now that you have made the leap. Greatest decision in my life. Really? I don't think I've like ever been so happy. I'm not I even, love I'm that. Not even, even as a ball of I'm stress. Not, yes, even as a ball. <laughs> I was actually, I was saying recently, like if I, if I was still doing what I was doing before and I'm, I am the ball of stress that I am now, I'd probably like be in a hospital right Catatonic. now. Like I'd just be like done. Oh like, my God. <laughs> yeah. Holy crap. Okay. Yeah. And, okay, love it. <laughs> love when... Like you make a change and it works. Yes, oh, I was so. <laughs> and then everything in your life is like, yes, yes thank goodness. Thank you. <laughs> right. So, what did you transition into? And so, I work for an oversight body. And yeah. do you still get like satisfaction from that? I do. Um, I do because like the work we do, we deal with like okay, there there are some very unreasonable people. That stuff I don't like. People complain about the most. I love unreasonable things. people. <laughs> But we also get like really vulnerable people who genuinely need assistance and are like for whatever reason being disability, mm. age, like um, income, just don't have that the means or the capacity to be able to to help themselves, and yeah. that's where we step in. So that's quite nice. Yeah, has that type of advocacy always resonated with you, or is that something that's developed over time? I think it's always been there. Um, but doing what I did as a lawyer, it it's a bit blurry because I never got a choice as to what work I took on because I wasn't like the senior person, right? Right. And so, do, do you just have to take on whatever you're given? Yeah. 
Yeah. God. And, and like if, say, for example, a client couldn't pay for work, um, right. generally the decision might be to tell them to go away in very nice terms. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I can see why. <laughs> right. So, but now you can, can you take on everyone? Well, if they're, if they're like in the jurisdiction that we can yes. deal with, then we, we take the complaint in, um, we'll consider it. And if we take action, we take action. If we don't take action, we don't take action. Nice. Yeah. Love that. We just have to justify it. <laughs> Said like a true lawyer. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Nice. I suppose I want to get to know about like what types of values you have mm-hmm. or what yeah. you're really passionate about or what makes you tick. And yeah. I am hesitant to, well, I'm hesitant to ask it outright because mm-hmm. I feel like when someone comes in and they're like, so what are you passionate about? You're like, yeah, what are you like? sleeping like, <laughs> and <laughs> food. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Sleeping and food. Yeah. Um, but like what actually brings you life? Yeah. I'm very simple. I love that answer. That's so good. <laughs> I, um, I don't have a lot of like passions in life, but the ones that I do really enjoy, like I love sport and I love certain types of sports and I get so much joy from camaraderie, friendship, and I have an unexplainable passion for the teams that I support and I'll never be able to explain why it is it that, that I like. Who's your team? Depends on sport. So, like, I love football, so, like, soccer, and I'm a huge Arsenal fan, so I watch a lot of the Premier League. Cool. Um, and I watch Rugby League quite often and, well, actually quite often, weekly. <laughs> Religiously. Like, like, four times a week. <laughs> and I grew up in Parramatta and I support Parramatta. Love it. Um, and, I, I, like, I'll never be able to explain why it is I enjoy it so much. I think part of it is because my parents hate sports so much. And that, I love it. <laughs> that I just started loving it. Um, and it kind of, my life literally revolves around it weekly. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I also love what you're saying about being simple and not having many passions in life. Yeah. Cause I really resonate with that. Yeah. And when people have asked me like, what are you passionate about? I'm like, genuinely, like, mm. I don't know, reading and genuinely sleeping yeah. and hiking and whatever happens to make me happy, it makes me happy. And then that's it. You know? Yeah. Like I think I've tried doing so many things. So like, you know, I've I've tried to garden and I've tried to like, like I did pottery once, which I enjoyed mind you, but like I could never do it weekly. Like I just get like sick of it. Do you get bored or are you a perfectionist? Because for me, if I'm not really good at it straight away. No, I think it's, I think it's more like I, I know what I enjoy doing and I know what like brings me like inner peace. And that's literally like, I can either sit at home and relax and just have sport on in the background. Love that. I used to play quite a lot of sport. Okay. Um, and I've unfortunately got like the back of an 80 year old. So I stopped playing a few years ago, just before COVID started. No, so right when you really need yes. the stress outlet. Yeah. So I started swimming again, which was really nice. I swam a lot as a kid. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's just that there's no other outlet that I've tried that I that I know that I would just I could just put it on and I will just sit back and relax and Be think about nothing. That's exactly yeah. it. And nice, yeah. cool. So sports like your big passion. It's like I think it's the only thing. It's literally the only thing. Cool. Yeah. I think for me, it it has to be 
writing mm. and it's always I don't know why mm. like and the and I think I've sort of because I don't know whether I can call myself a writer or not mm. but the way that I've always defined it is when I have time off I still want to write mm. like and when I'm relaxing I still want to write yeah. so that has ended up being the thing I think part of it as well is like I have a very close group of friends that I met at the beginning of high school so mm. like I've known them for literally more than half my life and that's how we first bonded and that's how we like kind of still bond. Like we obviously like know everything about each other. Like talk, we talk about anything, but like, like that's how we initially bonded. Right. And even after school, we played together for another 10 years. So it's kind of like, I think that's why it's so close to me as well, mm-hmm. because a lot of that like, socialization process yeah. has happened around sport. Yeah. It's like forged like my lifelong friendships, which is quite nice. <sighs> that's, it's really interesting as somebody who I, I've never really had that experience with sport mm. before. So for me, it's always been like mm. something that you do. But yeah. I've never experienced the social, like the social aspect mm. of it. I think the social aspect of like just the social, the socializing part of getting to know people is I think how I've made my close friends. Right. So like I've got two sets of really close friends. I've got my high school friends who I've, you know, over sport and I have a group of friends that I actually met in India. So I worked for an, I worked for an NGO for it was six months, but broken up into two like two occasions. And um, I feel like I'm super close to them. We see each other all the time. They come into the wedding, and it's as if like we bonded over living in like the most foreign <laughs> environment that like brought us closer together, and. Yeah, like I think like we all we all went over there for the purpose of like trying to do a bit of good and work with this NGO. Yeah. And we ended up leaving like being, you know, really good friends. Something about travel. Yeah. Tara and I were literally talking about this today, <clears throat> saying what is it about being an expat or mm. being overseas that makes you suddenly just say yes. Yeah. Or just make like crazy bonds mm. with people. Yeah. Okay, tell me about India. Okay. <laughs> you love that you're like, just, yes. dro- just casually drop India. Well, okay. <laughs> it, okay. Side note, it was a good segue. Like, it's it's how I've like, you know, it's my two passions effectively. Okay, so there was this program they sold to uni students where it was like, you go over and you kind of help set up a small business. Um, and... So this was when you were still doing your undergrad? When I was still in uni, yeah. Actually, it was when I was, when I was studying law. Okay. And I actually decided to go because I'd just come out of a, a long-term relationship and I was like, I need to, like, do something, like, outrageous because, you know, why not, you know? Back, yeah. <laughs> I, backpacked, I backpacked across Spain. <laughs> yeah. Everyone does something different. Yep. And um, got over there. I've, like, I think I've been – before then I'd been to Europe quite a number of times. Mm-hmm. I'd never been to oh, – with the exception of, like, Malaysia – um, and I was living with like a friend whose parents were there and are quite wealthy. So I didn't really experience like, you know, perhaps true, the, true Malaysia. The depth of yes. the culture. Yeah. Um, and literally, I think the second I got there, it was like 10 PM. Um, you know, no one could speak English. You've got like people just like swarming you being like, come in my taxi. And I'm like, Oh my God. What have I got <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm not sure, like, like the business I set up was effectively, like, you know, shorts. 
that we that we got like a we like a woman in the village to continue making. She got paid to make them, and then we bring the products back to Australia and sell them. Cool. Like a really cool small kind of um, like niche business. Mm. Like in the scheme of things, I probably got more out of the whole program from a personal point of view than I did as a in terms of social impact. Yeah. But like the stuff that we went through was like people with the people you lived with. It was just like outrageous. Like I feel like. You know, people were getting sick constantly, going to hospital, like, um, you know, the fact that you had no flushing toilets, no hot water, you were literally living in a rural village in India, like, you weren't living in the cities, like, people saw you at your worst and your most vulnerable, and I feel like that's how we ended up bonding, bonding. Um, so much so that we went back a second time. Okay, so, wow, okay. Yes. There's so much to unpack this. There there, there are so many things that you could ask, so you can fire away. (laughs) Thanks. Um... (laughs) And, you know, guide me if I'm, like, going in the wrong direction. But I think I want to start with, you went to India for the first time. Mm. How long were you there, first of all? So, the, the program itself is for a month. Okay. Um, but I went a month before to kind of travel and see a bit of it. And then after our, like, working month finished, yeah. um, a lot of us were like, let's go travel again together. So, okay. we spent another month together. Amazing. So you get off the plane, mm. it's hot and busy and there's yes. people everywhere. Yes. Yeah. Um, had you ever experienced anything like that before? Never. No. Um, I think like I'm not like white, but like whenever they see someone who isn't the same complexion as them, it's just like, they're just like in awe. So it's literally like swarms of people like wanting to touch you, wanting to like ask you things, wanting to like rip you off. Right. Take, take yeah. your money. <laughs> yep. So yes, it's it's a lot. I think um, it's not for everyone. There's definitely a lot of people that were there were just like it's just too much. Yeah. You kind of have to go with the flow and just accept that this is how it is. And probably lucky I was a man. Like I feel like being a woman over there is a lot more difficult. Right. Um, a few of my friends, you know, blonde, like yep. certain stereotypes about what Western women are like that right. is not. Helpful or accurate? No, not at all. (laughs) Definitely not accurate. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I probably had it easier than most. Right. I think, like, I think because I'm, like, you know, got olivey skin, people just assume I was, like, I don't know, a Bollywood star or, like, (laughs) something like that. Oh, you poor thing. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So I got off the plane in India and everyone thought I was famous. (laughs) I was coming out of a relationship. It was rough. (laughs) I actually had, like, um, a moustache. Like, I decided to grow a moustache. I have no idea why. And it was, nah, the, it was the one that twirled as well. So it just, um, it added to the whole You got image. off looking like Gandhi. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. God. Okay. Oh, God. Okay, so when you decided to go to India, mm-hmm. this was just after quite a significant life change. Yeah. What was being in a new culture and being in a new space like for you on a personal level? I really enjoyed it because it literally made me forget about the reason I left the country. Like it was like, it was so new. There was so much to take in, um, that it just took your mind off everything. Um, also literally living, like I was living with six other people that I had never met before. Um, so that, you know, that took a lot of socializing, a lot of like actual like mental energy to like try and get to know these people because living with them for 30 days and you're not just living, but like you're actually working with them. Like they're your colleagues, they're your roommates, they're your friends. Mm. Some weren't at the end. <laughs> yeah, 
Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, honestly, like, it's, it was, I think, you know, the reason why I went to get, take my mind off things and, you know, like, there's these stereotypes where people like, you know, in movies where you see cows walking down the street and like people like, you know, 10 people on the back of like a car, like all these things are real. Like all those things were things that I saw on a day-to-day basis. And it was just such a cultural shock yeah. that you just like took Assault everything in. Senses. Exactly right. And like, you just had no time to think about what was happening at home or like, yeah. you know, what you left behind. Right. And you said earlier that they saw you at your best and at your worst. Yes. And that you had to be very, like, vulnerable as well. Does the culture shock or the being in a new space help with that or lead to that? It does, um, because I think you all end up going through the same thing. Um, Like, I, I... So, the guy that I roomed with, like, is now one of my closest friends... And the funniest thing is, like, I think if I'd, like, met him outside of that program, I'm not even sure I'd be friends with him. But, like, because we had that opportunity to, like, hang out on a day-to-day basis, get to know each other, like, you know, you develop really close connections. And I still remember, I, I think, what epitomized the fact that if anything could, like, if one particular thing could happen, you can get through that, you'll be fine. Like, happened on the second day where I woke up and, you know, went to the bathroom and took my morning dump which was uh, <laughs> a tradition and um, ah, yes. <laughs> um realized we didn't have running water so we could not flush the toilet so naturally it stayed there and he had to use it right after me so he literally took a dump <laughs> on my dump and it sat there for probably a day until the water started running again and you know i think if we could get through that we could get through anything oh my god <laughs> You really can. What a bonding experience. It literally was. Wow. Yeah. I feel like you've got nowhere else to go after that other than friendship. No, Do you know what I mean? Exactly like, it. like, you know, that's the thing. Like, pe- like, you know, the amount of times people got diarrhea, got food poisoning, had to go to the hospital. Like, you know, I still think that in that month, some of those people saw me at my worst than my family at home. Like, it was... Right. emotionally emotionally and physically right like emotionally like it's so draining like trying to literally actually work in a country where no one speaks your language right and you know we try and learn a few words here or there but it's it's a lot is it just the communication barrier that's hard it's not just the communication barrier it's the fact that i think when people see when when they see white people they automatically um like change the way they act like because we're actually like working there like trying to negotiate for example prices for things or trying to organize meetings were just so outrageous like people would try to rip you off so remember we organized a meeting with a supplier to like talk about how hey can we like buy this stuff in bulk and if so how the person turned up four hours late for a meeting because like in in the culture it's mm. you know th- there's no like concept of time like in australia if you <laughs> if you're like let's let's meet at one o'clock you turn up at one o'clock and mm. if you're late, you let them know you're going to be late. Mm. But it was like literally like, you know, that kind of, you know, working, you're working nine to five effectively. Um, and it was a lot like, yeah, especially trying to deal with all those other factors, not just the different food and the different, like, you know, living situation. And your body being stressed and yeah. the continual influx of 
in your senses. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. To put it lightly. Yeah. Um, was that a time of personal growth? Yes, for sure. And that's like, I think, I think like I said it before, it was, I think I got more out of it personally than, than I did in terms of the social impact that I initially wanted to make. The second part of that question too, I'm glad that you said that. Thank you for playing. <laughs> the, the second part of that is, did you know when you were there that it was really impactful or was that something that happened later? As like, in the personal impact. Yeah. Did you, were you like doing the work and the development and blah, 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 or did that sort of percolate and then eventuate later? It's, it, it eventuated later. Right. Like, I really had no idea what to expect right. when I went over. Um, and I think, yeah, it, it just kind of developed when I was there bit by bit because mm. like, you know, um, I was put in a situation that had been put in before and naturally like that's how you grow as a person. Like you, you learn and you develop new skills. Um, and that's actually the second reason I decided to go back because part of, part of like the, you know, on one hand you're in a team, but there's also someone who is like the leader of the team. So when I decided to go back again, I went back to lead a team. And once again, like I knew what I was getting myself into this time, but for selfish reasons in part, like I wanted to like gain leadership experience. So I thought this is the perfect opportunity to go back. because I know what to expect this time. I know what I want out of it. And I definitely learned a lot about my leadership skills. Yeah, I know. I was going to say what was the most, I mean, what was the most pertinent? I I always thought I was like I'd be like one of those laissez-faire type like chill like managers who's like yeah you'll be fine you can do whatever you want like just like um yeah (laughs) so that's our dog in the background (laughs) having a dream baby (laughs) you thought you'd be a laissez-faire manager oh yeah yeah super chill ball of chill ball of chill but (laughs) I realized I'd probably be a ball of chill because everyone that I'd want to work with would be people that I'm friends with and competent. (laughs) Competent is definitely where I was going to go with that. Um, I think like, I didn't realize how much I had to like babysit some people and like literally be like, yo, like you're here to work. Like why are you asleep at 10 in the morning? Oh, really? Yes. And this is like, it, it was, I still remember it was like the final day of the project and I was like, there was so much to do. And some, some of the people were just like on like Adobe, like, oh, how should we do this? You know, how, how should we convert this to a PDF? And I'm like, okay, no, like, that's it. Like, Absolutely no, not. like, like, what are you doing? We've got four hours. Like, we're not talking about this shit now. Like, you need to just get this done. And yeah. That's when I became like, um, almost a dictator. I think in the end, I was like, <laughs> some of you are incapable of like, fault, like oh literally. God working I, I just need to like love is like so i went to india after a breakup <laughs> and just was ready for a spiritual awakening and i became a dictator and yeah. that is my true form yes. <laughs> this is literally the stereotype of all movies <laughs> love it. That's it i found i found who i really am i found my true calling <laughs> yes it is to be a god yes <laughs> yes love that yeah um would you would you go back? 100%. Okay. I, like, I will definitely go back one day. Like, it's not even a question of, like, maybe. Like, I want to. Um, something about traveling or something about India? 
both. Like, I, I really, like, enjoy... There's still a lot of places in the country that I want to go to. There's some I definitely want to re revisit again. There's some beautiful beaches in the south. It's really relaxing. Um, and I think, like, I love the food as well. Like, I love... I miss, like... I miss like eating with my hands and I thought this is going to sound ridiculous because I'm the type of person who will eat a pizza with a knife and fork in Australia. But the second I get over there, I'm like eating with my All hands. In. I like, I can't even walk barefooted in my house, but over there I don't even own shoes. So like, it's just something right. about being over there that brings out a different kind of side of me that just makes me really different. That's such a thing. Yeah. With like, I really find that with travel too. Like, yeah. I, I talk about this on the podcast a lot. <laughs> I'm finding. <laughs> I actually know, but I know I am. I'm so because I lived in Japan for a while, as everybody who's ever listened to this probably knows. Um, but I find that my personality there was completely different to the person who I am here. Hmm. Or even when I travel anywhere, my personality changes. Yeah, I think it's the same as me. I am. Um... It's like, for me, travel is like, it's, it's a way to escape reality. Um, and I actually, I actually did exchange for almost a year in Sweden. So like, and it's funny because the second time I went to India, I went straight from India to Sweden. So like, it wasn't, it oh. wasn't as if I didn't go, like it was, I had this whole kind of thing planned for the last year of my degree where I was like, you know what, I... I'm about to like go into the workforce and probably become a slave for the rest of my life. So I need to get out and um, just do something different. So for like that whole, you know, that whole kind of year was a huge, like fun time for me. I think put very simply. Oh my God. So straight from <laughs> India yes. to Sweden. Yeah. So I had like my coats and my scarves packed and all my, I don't even know what shorts and like singlets like it was just one i just carried everything with me for a year and you went on exchange in exchange there. so i did my last i did my last semester in sweden um and then i traveled for like three months after and then i came home and i graduated like i was like wow, literally done what a whirlwind. yeah okay so you go from being a dictator yeah to being in sweden yes living in in a dorm or? yeah so there's in Sweden, there's um, there's a student town called Uppsala, which is like forty minutes. So I think it's north or south. It's not. It's forty minutes from Stockholm. Right. And it's literally probably the size of Parramatta, um, and it's ninety percent students. So it's kind of like you know, it's a just fun young time. It's it's just I I was pretty you know I went from being a dictator to being an alcoholic like <laughs> in, in, in the space of like a few months. Right. Cool. The natural progression. Right? The natural... You know, dictators need to have a break too, right? (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so tell me about your time in Sweden. So, okay, I might start with... Aside from the... uh, From what you remember. I might start with the studying. So, (laughs) I literally chose two subjects, Mm -hmm. which were the equivalent of a whole semester in, in, you know, Sydney semesters um, that involved no exams... One class a week and a final essay at the end that I had to write in English. You poor thing. I know. It was an absolute nightmare. I had no free time. I couldn't do anything. Yeah. Sounds no. like you were... I literally purposely picked subjects where I literally... Like, you know, I knew that it would take the least amount of time possible. I just wanted to like live my best life traveling and you know meeting new people. 
funnily enough, like I think my closest friends ended up being Irish, American, Canadian, and Australian. You know, all the people that speak English. There were two German guys. You know, I diversified a bit. There you go. Good, good job. Um, <laughs> but I just yeah wanted to just enjoy it as much as possible. Heck yeah. Yeah. Love that. Yeah, and Sweden's really weird. Um, in that they have these things called like nations, which. I think if you're in America, you call them a frat house, but but for them, it's I think it's less frat housey. So you kind of you pay for a membership, and they hold parties every week. And if you're a member, you get to get you know free entry, and it's literally just you know party. So the one I joined, it literally had parties every Tuesday night. So I started going out on a Tuesday night, which has never happened in my whole life. Um, and they have these weird things called gasks. Like gas, gasks, G A S Q U E, and it's kind of like a ball, and a ball, um, like a, yeah, like, like a dance. yeah, yeah, and you literally like they they like pre allocate you a partner, so like you don't invite someone to go with you, you just kind of turn up and they're like you sitting next to this person, kind of not great. Where like you know if you know if if you're for example gay and they partner yeah. you up with you know they they never ask those questions, which kind of sucks for irksome, yeah. Yes. Mm. But it was such a weird concept and like they just have shot glasses in front of you and like you just take shots at random times and... Oh my God. I had no, I, I had no fun. <laughs> I, just got, I got drunk after an hour. Like I was like, where's the food I need to eat? Because like... Hell I'm yeah. I'm to pass out. Okay. That sounds fun. It, it sounds really fun. It was fun. I, I got like the impression it was super like traditional and like very old school, which is why they, like, they'd only pair up, say, men and women together. And it was like... Yeah, it was kind of like this had been going on for like so many years that like, you know, this will forever be the tradition. And I only went once because I was like, this is kind of weird. Um, but also like it was really enjoyable at the same time. Heck yeah. Yeah. It was like, I never thought I'd get like a cultural shock going to like, um, you know, a country where there's a lot of white people, for example. But that was a cultural shock. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I suppose, after... <laughs> the juxtaposition India. of India to yes. then Sweden it's yeah. very very it's literally the complete opposites yeah heck yeah yeah so um one of one of the the guys I was quite close to over there um he hooked up with you know a girl like the first or second night and she became infatuated with him and um he tried to avoid her like the plague and the place that we were staying in um it was literally like 12 high rise buildings um, seven floors, like 24 rooms in each floor. And it was just students. So like there's a whole congregation of students there. So like, you're going to run into everyone eventually. Anyway, I turned up to this ball and my date happened to be the girl that he slept with that he was trying to avoid like the plague. And she knew that I was friends with him. So literally like for the first, I reckon 45 minutes, it was just the most awkward, like, Oh, Almost, no. I actually probably preferred silence, but we got, um, we just had to like make the worst small talk until like oh. the alcohol kicked in. And it's funny because, um, you're supposed to walk in with your partner and she purposely didn't walk in with me. So I literally had to walk in with like another person just for like, cause you, Appearances. when you walk in, they actually take a photo of each couple as you walk in. Oh, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, it was like, it was, yeah. So she literally like didn't walk in with me on purpose and then had to sit next to me for the whole night. Wow. Yeah. Love that story. Yeah. 
it's good hearing you talk about just different life experiences mm. that you've had. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I have no, like, I have, like, very few hobbies. So it's not like I'm going to talk for, for, you know, an hour for, like, you know, oh, how good was that game, like, four years ago when they kicked the ball into the goal? <laughs> you could, but <laughs> I don't think you would be really it. running that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do a play-by-play of the 90 minutes. Oh, fun. my God. That would, I kind of almost want to. Talk to a massive football fan. Just like, well, back in the back in the year that I was born. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 really like it's good though because I feel similar. Yeah, with uh, a lot of my experiences. Yeah, like I I think I bond like that's how, I think let's say that's how I bond with a lot of the people that I'm close to like my experiences that I've enjoyed and like you know how I've how I've grown as a person has come through all all those experiences and like it's funny like I actually did not remember any of like those parts of Sweden for like quite a long time and just like you know oh it pops it back, just pops back yeah, in yeah it does doesn't it yeah yeah it's also interesting that you talk about bonding with people and learning through good experiences I feel like I've heard a lot of stories where people have learned from something bad Mm. or there's this misconception that you have to go through something that's a real struggle in order for you to Mm. dramatically change as a person or learn something or Mm. i i yeah i think i think it it goes both ways like i've definitely learned from bad experiences as well as good i think i think i tend to remember the better experiences more just because you don't want to forget the bad experience. Sorry, you don't want to remember the bad experience. Yeah, can I have whatever it is that you're on? Because <laughs> it's just like just just switch it off. It's fine. <laughs> ah, it's called our dissociation. Yes, <laughs> repression. That's <laughs> right. I am um, like I think for, I don't think I've got a lot of bad experiences. Um, I do think that growing up in like an Arab family, um, being the firstborn and having certain expectations probably relate to like my probably less positive experiences Mm. um but i think that's like i i pretty much am not the normal arab stereotypical child like i moved out of home before i got married i constantly argue with my parents because i refuse to do what they want even though they they kind of do sneak in a few things here or there (laughs) and um for the the wedding for example (laughs) but um yeah look i think and I kind of feel guilty saying this sometimes, but like, I think I've had a generally okay upbringing where I haven't had so many traumatic things and maybe I've just put a lot into side or maybe I haven't had, I don't know. I think that that's great though. Like I really, I love that. And I, I think it's great that, mm. you know, you can learn from positive experiences and you can focus on positive experiences mm. and just enjoying life mm. and, and chilling yeah. And you can still <laughs> be content. Yeah, totally. This yeah. whole idea of contentment as well. Yeah. I think a lot of people chase a high or try to escape from a low, whatever it is. But this whole idea of contentment just with where you are and what you're doing mm. and finding enjoyment in traveling mm. or watching the footy. Yeah. Or For me, it's like the little, it's the little things. And sometimes I do forget it. Sometimes I get like so wrapped up in making things perfect or like Mm. making sure like things go a certain way but like if I kind of think back to like literally like 
you know, just enjoy enjoy the little things sometimes. Like, shit's not going to always go the way that you want it. Totally. And if I remind myself of that, it generally, like, brings down the pressure. I was going to say, does that help you be more chill? It. I think if I if I actively, like, remember it, it does. Right. If I don't, like now, like, ball of stress, like, two weeks before wedding, non-chill. Yeah. I feel like wedding is a really good excuse to not be chill, though. Yeah. I'm, I'm, at the moment, my life is, like, PW and, like... BW like before wedding and post wedding it's like (laughs) like like literally like that's how I'm thinking about life at the moment oh my gosh I am not looking forward to that (laughs) we've got so our wedding is gonna be around this time actually around the time that you guys are getting married next next year year. yeah so that's so exciting I'll talk to you in a year (laughs) when I'm a ball of stress (laughs) oh my god I was I always say this in like hindsight but I'm like oh if I could go back I wouldn't do this I do I do this I do that and I'm like oh there's no fucking point like thinking about that anymore because it's it's organized like it's done it's It's gonna happen yeah yeah great well I'll um pick yours and Bonnie's brain yes about what not to do (laughs) yes don't listen to anyone (laughs) that is my number one and only no it's really good you can leave this in if you want (laughs) so when bonnie and i had our engagement party we um like we booked out like a venue and we we purposely booked it for like limited numbers because i don't want like 400 people at an engagement party let alone a wedding so I don't even want to see. I don't even know four people. Yeah, I don't even want to talk to like more than a hundred, let alone <laughs> fi- like even fifty is too many. But yeah. um, we booked the place, and I told my parents that this was the capacity, and they couldn't invite anyone. So my dad pretended to make a booking at the same venue to tell whether or not I was lying about the capacity. <laughs> oh my! God. Wait, and no, I wasn't lying. Oh. <laughs> no, no, no. These are the kind of things when, when I say like, when I, when I talk about like my, I guess my bad childhood memories, like our parents can be quite controlling and will will want things a certain way. And, you know, when you're, you know, under 18, not an adult, they get a lot of saying like what you do as a child. So naturally I did the complete opposite the second I turned 18. So, yeah. So you really grabbed hold of that freedom at 18 yes <laughs> i did like i literally turned 18 like not coming home on a night out and not telling anyone where the fuck i was you know did you have to fight hard i the second i knew i had ended like the second i was an adult that's when i start. i knew i could fight hard really yeah wait why because for my parents it was so important that i got a good education Right, and while I was still in high school, they literally thought they had like literally hundred percent authority, and they kind of did because like I, You're what a am child. I, yeah, I'm a child. I'm not gonna fucking like run away and you know live on the street, right? So the second I knew I'd finished school, and I literally had the capability to you know do whatever I wanted, like they couldn't stop me, and there was like many years of like them coming to terms with you know, the fact that I'm not, you know, what they were as at my age. Like, for example, my mum, my mum lived with my grandparents until she got married. My mum got married at the age of like 32. So it's kind of like that, like a lot of those ideas ingrained in their minds as to what someone in their late teens, early 20s should be doing mm. wasn't what I was doing. Was that conflicting For- to like to fight that hard and to break that or was that just like this is what it is you're better deal and then they did 
Yeah, it was all that except they didn't deal. <laughs> <laughs> I like I feel like I, I always say this to them, like I feel like our relationship's better since I actually moved out because right. they, they still always wanted to like be involved. Like they always wanted to know where I was going, what I was doing, you know. So it was it was kinda like I was still that teenager, mm. like that or that that child. Um and like I said, the, the second that I actually moved out of home, my relationship was so much better with them because it was like, it was about, you know, we'd go, I'd go for dinner and it'd literally be catching up. It wasn't like them trying to assert authority like they, like they would when I was a child. Yeah. Yeah, it's so funny. Like the dynamic really does mm. change, but I feel like sometimes it takes the child to... Yeah, it, it takes... To really enforce that it, change of dynamic. Yeah, and even then, I don't think... I've changed the dynamic as much as I would have dreamed of. Right. But I think sometimes I just pick my battles and they come at a cost Fair. <laughs> every once in a while. Um, but yeah, some, sometimes, I, you know, you just get so tired of fighting sometimes. It's like, oh, whatever. Yeah. I'll, okay. I'll take this now and I'll deal with this later. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. 100%. So I want to ask you two more questions. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is, is there anything that you're currently learning about or is there anything that you're currently curious about? And you can take as long as like you need. And like you can say no mm. as well if you're not curious about anything and you're not learning about I'm it. I'm definitely not learning about anything. I can say that for certain. Why? Hmm? Intentionally not learning about anything? No, just uh, not, uh, not intentionally. I think just not actively learning. Yeah. Um... The only thing I can genuinely think of is a language. So Bonnie's applying for postdocs now, and there's a very high likelihood we're going to go overseas. So if we end up in a non-speaking English country, for example, like I actually want to learn a language. I'm not going to like be in a foreign country where I'm not going to be able to speak the language. I'm literally going to just speak English to everyone and no one's going to understand me at all. So that cultural immersion type yeah. thing. I'm at this point in my life where I don't actually like actively try and learn new things. I feel like I've, I'm content with like what I enjoy doing and, and value the spare time that I have and value what I do. Great. But if I think that's probably one thing I, I will definitely do. If we end up going to Germany, for example, I'd love to like learn the language. And that's one of the things like I watch so many like reality TV shows, for example, <laughs> where people like go over to like another country and just out, like outright refuse to to try and like learn the language or just be so stubborn where they just say, you know, no, you must understand me even though I'm not speaking the language that everyone else speaks. It's like cutting your nose off to spite your own face, really. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, thank you. And then final question: Is there anything that you want to talk about that we haven't covered that is part of your story that's like you've gotten like the glimpse of my family dynamic and the love for my family but also my struggle as like a a first generation like australian arab child like i have a good relationship with my pet like my family but it's also like um it's funny like from an outsider you're just like what the fuck is this but like like you know that's how arab families like talk sometimes it's like you, you don't sometimes yelling it's like you're yelling you're like Two minutes later, you're like, oh, so much love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'm like, oh, you know what? If they didn't do what they did, where the fuck would I be? Like, wouldn't have gotten an education, wouldn't have gone to uni, had the opportunity to choose whatever I wanted to do. When you say if they didn't do what they did, hmm. what did they do? Like, their literal whole, like, lives were about 
making sure I got a good education. That was literally all that mattered. Wow. So from from like K to year 12, it was like my mom worked a second job to literally get me private tutoring near, near the end of high school. Wow. Just so that I could do as well as I possibly could. Like mm. for them it was like our goal is to get you into a good uni to do whatever you want. How do you or what is it like separating yourself from your parents in terms of what they want for you and what you want for yourself? It's still a constant struggle. Even now, like, it's... You can't separate it. Um, I've I've gone on my own in some respects, but in other respects, there's just so many... I think there's so many cultural things where even though what they do is very, like... It's very full-on, it's very, like, intrusive. That's, like, what the, what, what our culture's like, and that's kind of, like, what families are like. And I always, like, I'm caught because I know they're coming from a place of love, and, like, it's genuinely, like, they want the best for me, but they go about it in, I think, the wrong way sometimes just because of the way that, like, I've grown up in, in, in Australia. Like, I want things a different way. I want pure, like, autonomy over my choices, and unfortunately some of my choices do impact what they want and that always causes friction but we generally get through most of them i think how is it claiming that autonomy like how does it feel yeah it is there guilt there is there just is there like resolute mm. i will have my autonomy like sometimes it is like that like i, I actually i don't feel guilty um because like it's what I want. It's your life. It's my life. Right. Yeah, and honestly, I know we've 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 touched on the wedding quite a few times, but like the wedding it's has been. It's happening in two weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's been like I think the most challenging thing I've had to do, um, because Arabic weddings are massive. It's a chance to like invite everyone that you know under the sun. It's like a big celebration. It's a it's a it's like you know, I've I've been invited to. I don't, this is an exaggeration, probably like a hundred weddings in my lifetime. And I've probably known like 5% of the people that got married. Wow. So that's kind of like the culture. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a cultural thing and it, you can't, you can't say to them like, you know, you can't just totally disregard that. And for them, they're just like, no, you can't like, you can't totally just like ignore the fact that this is what our culture is. Were they born in Australia or overseas? No, both my parents were born in Iraq and they migrated here like quite a while ago, like 40, 50 years ago. So like they've been here for quite some time, but there's still like some, you know, some aspects. Yeah, that that they still hold quite dear. Do you feel culturally Australian, culturally Arabic or both? (laughs) This is like a whole, um, so like obviously I grew up as a middle, like as a child from a Middle Eastern background at the time where like, 9-11 9-11 happened, being Arab was quite frowned upon and people just assumed that, like, anyone that was Arab was, you know, a terrorist. So, like, during, like, my early childhood to, like, teens, I was really reluctant to, like, reveal that. Wow. Growing up, I learned how to speak Arabic and I made, like, an active decision just to stop because I wanted to be, like, white. Wow. And it wasn't until... Yeah, and it wasn't until, like, I finished school at turn 18 and I kind of like and that's the thing I really like I'm so proud of where I'm from and I'm proud of like my culture and I'm proud of where my parents came from but like as a kid it it was difficult because 
you had to live through all of that. Like, you know, like the second, the second someone was like, Oh, you're from Iraq. Like, you know, they, they just have, you know, whatever's in them, like the, their impression was whatever's in the media. Did you rail against the culture in and of itself? No, it was, it was more, it wasn't against the culture itself, but it was just hiding the fact that I came from it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What was that like with your parents? As I, in, were they aware that you were hiding that? Mm, no, they're not super traditional and super stereotypical. So like... Until it comes to the wedding. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> they, um... Like, I, I find that a lot of... Particularly a lot of Arab families that I know that kind of migrate at the same time as my parents, they came here for, like, a new life. Kind of like, you know, the, the, like, the new dream. A lot of them, like, tried to assimilate as much as possible. Like, my parents speak fluent English. They, they both, like, my, my dad finished his master's here. Like, they... They all actually tried to make an active effort to like assimilate because they moved here for a reason. Like they were living, like you know, so my my parents are both Christians. They were living in you know in Iraq where there was predominantly Muslim people and they were persecuted for that. My my grandfather was actually a communist and he like had to flee because apparently like the Baha Party or Saddam Hussein or whoever was like after him. I don't know. But, But yeah, they came here for like a better life and I think. Like I didn't, like I got like glimpses of my Arab culture, mm. um, but I think I took for granted as a kid that they did come from a different culture. Like I still like, actually I love the food, like I still love the food, I love to cook it, but I really wish, for example, like I continued my reading and writing and, and being able to speak more fluently if mm. I could go back in time. Right. So nowadays you're settled in the middle of being culturally australian and yeah like i'm i'm like proud of where they come from it's like easier yeah 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 and like i'm like you know i i think i've got values from from both like an australian kind of point perspective and their perspective sometimes to my detriment sometimes not like i no matter like how you know much i disagree with my family for example like in arab culture like family is key like it's it's huge and even if I pretty much disagree with everything they say, <laughs> like, I will, like, be there for them no matter what. Like, it's just, it's kind of like, I'll, I'll take the best of both worlds and maybe have to deal with the crap sides of both worlds too. <laughs> <laughs> nice. With a good with a good mix of enjoying the small things and chilling out. Yeah. Exactly <laughs> right. Nice. Awesome. I think that's a pretty, pretty good place to leave it. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was really fun to have you on and great to hear about all your stories and a little bit more about your life philosophy. So thank you so much. It was a pleasure. There was like a lot of things that I didn't think I would bring up that I did. And it was like really cool just to like tell a bit of about myself that, you know, a lot of people might not usually either know or like get to like see for me when, you know, they see me out so it's quite nice to like to talk about it that was an absolute joy thank you so much thank you This conversation for us was refreshing and fun. It provided us at Mere Utterance with the opportunity to reflect on the beauty in simplicity and the value in choosing to focus on the positive experiences life has for us. This conversation was unique in that Max's story is formed from eclectic foundations. Part passions, part experience, part family. 
This story teaches us that we are a complex and evolving combination of everything our life touches. At Mere Utterance, we want to create a community of storytellers, and so we welcome you to visit our website, check out our blog, leave a comment or send us a message. We would love to hear your thoughts on this conversation and would love even more to hear some of your story. Thank you again for joining us. And remember, everyone has a story. You just need to ask the right questions.